Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's great to welcome not only my congregation, but those of you who are part of our Saints Network family from around the world. This is a really special week here in our church in Dallas. The Lord has strongly urged me to bring before our people the necessity of fasting this week and particularly to honor two three-day fasts. The first of these three days culminates tonight at six o'clock when we are gathering together as a congregation to pray. We are giving him thanks. We are praising him for what he has provided for us here in this gap where he's asked us to stand. We are giving him thanks for the, the qualities of this place in the spirit realm, which would go along with the biblical principle of the histeme and the deposits of the glory. We are, we're giving him thanks for what he's wanting to do in future. And we believe that this is a, uh, a time that is earmarked by God. It's the timing of the Lord. And um, I, I am thankful that my congregation is willing to do this. It's been a blessed time thus far. We have been sharing back and forth with one another of the things that God's been revealing. And it's just been, it's been wonderful. It's cost us which fasts should, but it's, it's been a delight, and I'm just so thankful for the goodness of our God. So for my congregation, don't forget, come to pray tonight at 6. We are saying from 6 to 7. Um, I gave a directive to all of you as to what to expect and what to do, so I won't reiterate that here. If you can't make it here, please... Uh, set apart that time to pray wherever you may be. Um, I, uh, I felt, as I shared on Sunday morning, that God was directing us to the life of a man named Ezra in a really powerful Old Testament book. If you've not heard that sermon, I would encourage you to listen to it. But Ezra was responsible for taking thousands of people back to Jerusalem after, at, the, at the end, toward the end of the Babylonian captivity that God had prophesied and God had declared, that 70-year period. And he gathered the people and they fasted for three days. They afflicted themselves, which meant that they recognized the timing of God. It meant that they were humble. They were meek. It meant that they were committing themselves to the work ahead and that they were rejoicing. And those are the four facets of affliction there in that fast of three days. But then when Ezra arrived at Jerusalem successfully, giving thanks to God, he he discovered that the city and the people there were still 
as enslaved by the wickedness of the people who worship the demonic as they were when God judged the people and sent them away into captivity. So Ezra was seeking God, and it brings us in, in, in three, over three days, it, another, another three days. And it brings us to what we want to talk about today, that we're, the launching point is in Ezra chapter 9. Now, we don't have a teaching sheet, so don't, don't feel like you're missing something. I deliberately am doing this from time to time because we're trying to encourage our people to study for themselves. And if, like today, if I bring a concept and identify a word that the Spirit is tracing through the Scripture, to me, you can search the Scripture for yourself. You know, I, I learned this. That's the whole premise of homework. You can sit there all day and listen to a teacher teach, but when you actually study it and you actually put the work in yourself, not only does the Spirit have the opportunity to speak more definitive things to you, personal things, but it does something. It, it instills that in you in a way that's beyond somebody teaching you, as important as that is. So if, if the Spirit can direct us give us light on a topic and define something and say what meaning it has, then that should provide an impetus for you to study. So that's what we're trying to do today. So here is Ezra in Ezra chapter 9, verse 5. He is in the midst of this lamenting and fasting and wearing sackcloth and really pouring himself out in heaviness before the Lord. And in verse 5 it says, At the evening sacrifice I arose up from my heaviness, having rent my garments, garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. That's a very interesting pose. He was on his knees and he spread out his hands, palms upward, before the Lord. For some reason, I just could not escape the magnetism of that pose. And I, of course, did study concerning it. And I discovered that the only other time I could find someone who was exhibiting this same type of thing was King Solomon at the temple dedication where he lifted his hands toward God and God's hand, same word in Hebrew, would be extended back toward the temple. There was also a time where Moses appeared before Pharaoh in Exodus uh, chapter 9, verse 29, when God released thunder and God released um, hail and he came into Pharaoh and Pharaoh was really perturbed by all this. Pharaoh sent for him and Moses said to Pharaoh, as soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord the thunders will cease 
neither shall there be any more hail, that you may know how that the earth is the Lord's. Isn't that interesting? That Moses didn't extend the rod. He didn't do any other kind of prophetic thing, but he extended his hands, palms up before the Lord. Now, you remember the time when the Amalekites were, in, in the future from this passage, attacking, and Aaron and Hur stood beside Moses, and, and Moses extended his hands. That was, that was a different word. That was Yod. And Yod in the Old Testament represented the hands, but it, it generally represented, represented God doing something, or God showing his strength, or God uh, prevailing in a certain way. But this term, cap, which signifies the palms of the hands, that, that really does mean something to all of us because it speaks very clearly about what the, what the Old Testament, what the New Testament said regarding the meaning of the hand to where it was the palm of the hand, and it meant partnership, it meant openness, it meant, um, it meant, um, it meant something that was submissive to God with a willingness to partner to see something grow. But here in the Old Testament, usually the hand meant Yod for the, for the people, but, um, for individuals who were specifically being used by God in a profound way, you find this use of the palm. Now, I'm grateful for that. In the Old Testament, there were selected individuals. In the New Testament, anyone who follows Jesus has the privilege of partnering with God. But in the Old Testament, the people were beneficiaries of the yod of God. But the people that really partnered with God to chart the course of the people would be given the opportunity to extend the palms. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. This is the thing that I feel you perhaps need to study this Hebrew word kap, which we get our, our word cap on the top of the head, it means the palm of the hand or the sole of the foot. And it, it meant something that was hollow, but something that was willing to be submitted and utilized. The spoons of the tabernacle and temple were classified as this. It's funny to see that David's sling, the hollow of his sling, was this word. Um, the trees of the field clap their hands, this word. There can be the clap of derision using this word, or the clasp of agreement using this word. Um, I, I, I find it interesting that the first 
use of this word, which you'll discover, was on Noah's Ark when the dove, the dove could find no place for the soul, this word, of her foot. And I think the law of first issuance is very important in Scripture. And, you know, the dove represents a son who is committed to the triumph of his father. It's that the son that is committed to the peace, the accomplishment of what God asks to do, which is why the dove descended upon Jesus at the, at the baptism in the Jordan when God pronounced, this is my son. So the first use in the days of Noah was uh, the sole of the foot of the, of the dove. And of course, you can extrapolate everywhere the sole of your foot treads. I give that to you. It's, it's the same word, the soul in this word for the palm of the hand. When Moses was at the top of the mountain and he asked God to see his glory and God said, you're not going to see my glory, which again, I think it's somewhat ridiculous for us to engage in writing choruses about let me see your glory because God says very clearly, you're not going to see my glory. And where did he hide Moses? In the, in the cleft of the rock. And he covered him with his hand, this same word for the palm. And then when God removed the palm, he said, you'll see my back parts. You'll be able to know what I've done, but my glory I keep for myself. And, and you're not going to counsel me in it. You're going to partner with my hand as I allow you to. You're going to participate in welcoming it. You're going to be my representative in the midst of it. But when, it, when it's accomplished its work, then I'll remove that point of the assignment and you'll see and you'll understand to do and to teach. I think it's very interesting that God himself did that. And like with Solomon, God said, my hand, this cop, well, the palm of my hand will be extended there. It's very interesting, don't you think? You know, Elijah, famous for the widow woman who was instructed by God to feed him. What is, what's in your hand? I just have a handful using this word of meal. And I'm going to cook this up and then my son and I are going to die. Make me first a cake, but it was in that palm. It could have just been in the yod, but there it was in the palm. Remember when uh, Elijah was on the top of the mountain and the drought was going to be broken, but he was praying and he, he was on his knees. He put his face between his knees and he sent his servant out. And finally a servant came and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. He was seeing the palm. The same word. Same same word. Very interesting. Um, David was told to have, if you're going to come before God, you're going to have clean hands. That word, the palm, and a pure heart. So if you're going to, if you're going to partner with God, you got to make sure that 
You're not bringing anything else in. No other agenda. You are totally submitted to Him uh, with nothing, nothing in your hand. And you want it to be clean, but it's, it's submitted to God. And it's because your heart has been made pure. I, I think that is so great. You know, in Psalm 91, where the promise is that the angels will bear you up in their hands, it uses this term, this palm. And I think it's interesting that the enemy, when he, in a twisted way, cited that promise when he was asking Jesus to cast himself off the pinnacle because the angels would bear you up in in their hands. Um, the enemy wanted the power, but not the partnership. And um, that promise is in regard to the partnership that's indicated by the palm of the hand. Uh, I, I think this is just really a fascinating thing. There is a, a derivative of cop, which is cop, cop up. <laughs> it was used five times in the Old Testament. You can look that up too easily. But my favorite place where it is used is in Micah 6, verse 6. Uh, I like this passage because, as I've told you on a couple of occasions over the years, you know, when I was in Bible college as a senior, every senior had to preach in chapel once. So I had to get this sermon ready and present it to my my faculty sponsor for him to peruse it to make sure I had the three points, you know. And I felt the Lord wanted me to share from Micah 6.6 6 because to me, um, the, the ensuing passage is the three-point sermon. But here in Micah 6.6, 6, how do I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings uh, and calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what Doth the Lord require of thee to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God? How shall I come and bow myself? This was a a, a depiction of kapap, of bowing yourself as an empty vessel. The depiction itself of that posture speaks about being a vessel. And of course, God wants us to walk in righteous vision. He wants us to absolutely love spending time with him to gain his merciful direction and to, to walk this out in humility. That's what God wants. But this word, that was an answer to what Micah was asking regarding this word. I think that's, again, I think that's fascinating. Now, the one thing I did want to say about this is that there is a derivative of this word that's used in the Greek New Testament. 
And again, it has to do with um, a basket, something that is empty, something that would be used uh, by a person who wanted to engage in a partnership with that basket. And this unique word was used when Jesus took the little boy's uh, loaves and fishes and there were 12 baskets full left over. And that basket was a derivative of this Hebrew word, this very same Hebrew word. So what does... What's that all mean for us on this day in particular? What, what, what is entailed by, by God speaking about this now? Now, I first want to reiterate that this does not invalidate what we've taught regarding the hand in the Old and the New Testament. It, in any way, it, it accentuates the truths that have been established because God's word does not contradict itself. Um, Ezra is, in many ways, a God is using as a voice piece for us as a saint's network in this season. And... Um, it's one thing to believe that God is giving his provision, giving his protection, uh, girding us up for the task at hand that we're willing to partner with him in. That is, that is a blessing, an amazing blessing. But it's quite another thing that after you've experienced those providences from God, that you accomplish the task that he positioned you to accomplish. So Ezra had the people partnering with the timing of God, being willing, submitting themselves in vulnerability to God, and God showed himself strong, brought them all there safely. They were going to then go about the task that he did for the reason uh, for, the, for, the, for the reason by which he's done this. And he recognizes the task at hand, having a real-time view of it. And he says, you can read it for yourself. You know, you sent us away from this city because we were doing these horrible things. And here we see that they're not only doing these horrible things, but they're probably worse than they were. And it, it focused on the intermingling um, of the people of God with those of the land, which is not prejudice. It, it speaks about being uh, committed to God and being a people of God. The problem with intermarrying back then, which in some ways, when you marry somebody now, you, 
you're going to have to deal with who they are and what they believe. If you think that you're going to marry somebody and then you're going to change them, well, that can happen, but that's a that's a fool's logic. I mean, somebody said, I, I used to go to different counseling seminars, and one was about marriage counseling, and this guy said, the man marries the woman, and he's hoping she doesn't change. The woman marries the man thinking, when we get married, I'm going to change that boy. Now, this is just what somebody else said. But I'm just going to say, if you think that, oh, yeah, this guy doesn't love the Lord. He doesn't believe the way I do, you know, but I can change him. Your greatest leverage is before you're married. And really, you should be questioning um, who God's led you to. But that's just an aside. These people, when they married people from the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the all kinds of otherites, they welcomed their, their demonic worship into their life. And they became people that were in some ways like the people of God, but in name only, they weren't. And, and you read the final part of the book of Ezra. It's kind of a weird ending. Um, they, he certainly didn't seek um, a publisher's opinion how to draw it to a close. It just basically was listing all the people that had intermarried and how they were getting rid of those uh, wicked covenants. And it just ends with that. It just goes on and on and it ends with that. Isn't that strange? Um, I'm not really going to talk a whole lot about this, but it's through the Bible. Remember, Phanuel received a special covenant blessing from God because he rose up and said, this is an abomination to God. You can read about that. We've taught on it. We're, we're positioned right now as a saints network to, to welcome what God is activating, to participate in his timing, uh, and to be ready to to go forth and to have the breakthrough that God has ordained. We're committed, as Ezra was, to honoring that time frame, to be as submitted to God in meekness and humility, to be committed to the task at hand, and to um, to welcome to welcome that with rejoicing. But you look around the world, the wickedness, the darkness, the gross darkness, um, and the way the church is intermarried with it. Uh, it's uh, come out from among them and be you separate kind of a thing. And we're, we're going to recognize that. We're recognizing it in now, now, but we're going to recognize it even more so. You know, I uh, when I was in high school, I would always go to the school library and read Sports Illustrated every week. And I, I loved to read about sports back then. And when I went to college, I got 
some kind of a student rate to get Sports Illustrated delivered to my box at school every week. I think I paid like 10 cents an issue, which to me was like manna. So we didn't have televisions, we didn't have anything. We probably were better off. But to have that, I could read that. Well, I, you hear that Sports Illustrated has now gone so woke that they're only publishing once a month now. And their current issue, which I have not read, um, is deriding this coach, Kennedy, from the Northwest, who was fired for praying after football games with players that wanted to pray and give thanks to God. And that, that case has gone to the Supreme Court to see what this man's rights are and whether the school was right in, in terminating him. Well, Sports Illustrated took up this cause and just wrote a multi-page article deriding this coach and speaking about the religious right and how they're trying to destroy the liberties of people in this country. And it just goes on and on. I heard about it in a, in a news report. And I, I, I think that I remember what's happened with ESPN. And, but it's everywhere. Christianity is being mocked and derided. And a good portion of the church is going right along with it. I read... Uh, something that was posted by someone who used to walk with us, and he he said that the the truth that he discovered something to this effect uh, was that evangelism was largely a form of racism. I'm just stunned by the deception that is grasped most of the church. Here at our church, I've been here 42 years now, and there's a large church to the north of us that is now totally gone. Just, they're, they're still there, but they're embracing the social gospel. There's a church to the south that is even more so that way. I was forwarded a disgusting thing that one of the Methodist churches that split off following the leftist group had a transvestite pastor who was dolled up to preach on Pentecost Sunday. And, um, and this person stated that... Um, that God, let's get this right, I, I don't want to misquote, she, this person called herself Miss Penny Cost and um, said that queerness is divine, God is nothing. This is Methodist Church. Those are my roots. And again, I'm not mocking anybody, I'm pointing out the fact that we can look at Ezra's day and see that he spoke about intermarrying with other demonic religions 
if there's not a picture of that in what I just said and what is everywhere, everywhere. You know, we, I, I don't want to make this a temporal program, but Disney, uh, which has gone woke, has just produced a Buzz Lightyear film. And it's being banned by a lot of Muslim countries because Disney, in all of its wisdom, decided to continue its attempt to indoctrinate by putting a same-sex couple together who share a kiss in the movie. What that has to do with Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, I don't know. But, you know, recently there was a leaked video from one of the Disney planning sessions and they were openly stating that they were going to insert queerness in every way they could. And they were proud of it. Now, this isn't bashing gay people. This is not. I'm saying that society is really going down this pathway of mocking the scriptures, mocking God, mocking Christians, calling Christians, uh, anybody that disagrees with the, the perversion of the gospel message is then a bigot, a racist, a, a phobe of whatever. And, you know, you just, you just hear it everywhere. So we're believing God this week, and it's God's timing. We're grateful. It's a wonderful thing to be able to fast before the Lord and to cherish what he's not only put in, in, in place for you to be responsible for and to utilize in the kingdom, but you're preparing for what he is activating in the now and what's coming. Ezra, after he did this, and then found the goodness of God in bringing the people through, which really was a miracle. He recognizes what's ahead of him. And he is distraught, to say the least. And as I said, the end of the book was the beginning point of this, where they identified who had who had intermarried with these false demonic doctrines and these people eliminating that from their lives. And it just ends. So here is, here is Ezra. He's on his knees, which is Barak, which speaks about submitting yourself for an empowerment from God. It's, it's that point of blessing from a superior uh, commissioning and empowerment for a task, and boy, he he had he had a task in front of him, and um, he he extends the cup, the palms of his hands before God. Very interesting. I think I think one of the fascinating parts about it is that the very temple that they were going to ostensibly to establish, re-establish re the worship of God in, when that temple 
was dedicated, the king extended his palms before God, and God said, I'm extending my palms to you. And here is Ezra offering this before God. And what's it say there in Ezra 9? Uh, in verse 6, after as he's doing this, My God, I am ashamed, and I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. For our unjust iniquities have we, our kings, our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is to this day. Here's something that we spoke about a couple seminars ago. And now for a little space, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, to escape, to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. What shall we say after this? We have forsaken your commandments. It's, It's very interesting. We are really stepping into... What I believe is a little space of grace. God has commissioned us from his holy place. There is a narrow window that God is opening. I don't know the duration. There's going to be great things that happen. There are going to be great oppositions to that. Um, But this is a little space of grace that's been established in the very depths of who God is. And so, I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just trying to be a pneumatikos realist here. These are the factors. And uh, we must, we're, we're going to have to work for the night is coming when no man can work. Uh, we are partnering with the angelic in these times in a, in a really profound way. Uh, there is darkness upon the earth and gross darkness upon the people. But God's light is promised to be shining through and upon us. Now again, I know it's I know I'm that last part God speaks about his light shining out of darkness, shining through us, shining. We are the light of the world. So I'm just grouping that. I didn't quote that scripture exactly, but that's what God says. My light will rise upon you. And, but we've got to recognize the the timing of the Lord. The last great revival, the move of God's spirit, is coming. It's going to touch people in glorious ways. We're going to see phenomenal things. But if you think that it's a kingdom now kind of a thing where this is all going to happen and everybody's going to run and say, oh yes, we were so wrong. You know, we were returning to God. 
A lot of people will, but so many of them won't. You read what the scriptures speak about in Daniel and in Revelation where the people of the world are going to be cursing the God of heaven, cursing the witnesses. Um, we, we're in for some very interesting days, but we're in for days where we're serving the Father. So I'm not trying to establish some new posture here because we have been laboring to partner with the hand of God in so many ways. We've studied about that over and over again. It's been a good study. How in the Greek New Testament, the hand means emptiness. It means winter. It means storm. It means a valley. And we looked at that. Well, those are the same things that this cop represents. And um, it would be good for us as we're fasting this week. Maybe this is a signature thing for the next three days of fasting where we extend our palms upward before the Lord. Perhaps we extend our hands upward before the Lord. Maybe we, uh, maybe we kneel as Ezra did and extend our hands upward. In fact, I think what I'm going to do is for our congregation... I'm going to be giving little snippet words from some of these passages over these next couple of days. And um, I, I just, I think that we need to be believing for this kind of empowerment for the task ahead. You know, we've been praying up at, in the altar area. We will tonight. And then this coming Saturday, we'll be praying again as a congregation at 9 o'clock in the morning at the conclusion of the second three-day fast. And we're believing for breakthrough, the visitation of God's Spirit in the network churches and in the outposts of prayer groups. And we're, we're believing for God to uh, really empower us. And I remembered the last, uh, one of the last things we did at this most recent seminar was we did that, it wasn't a Jericho march, but we, we did that march through the altar area and around the sanctuary and through the, and most of the people were doing it. The kids were really excited about it. And it was totally unscripted. Uh, I started the thing just by an impulse from the spirit with my granddaughter, Megan. And then um, everybody just started doing it. I didn't, I didn't plan it. I didn't mean with any measure of predisposition to do it, it just happened. And and I believe that we're believing for his power and his presence and his wonder-working goodness to be in our midst. But we're going to go forth with it. This is the point where Ezra was in chapter 9. Now, I'm not tearing my mantle and tearing my garments and pulling out my hair. I've got to keep as much as I have. But I am I am really sensitive to the fact that we've got to commit ourselves to what's coming. Great days. But days that are as we see what happens in the world we're going to have to pour out ourselves before the Lord 
We, we, we cannot attack this face on because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We'll just give bulletin board material to the wicked. But we have to war in the spirit. And we have to be able to see it and recognize it for what it is and have clean hands. You know, if you look in your Bible, that passage I cited where David had clean hands and a pure heart, a lot of the translate, a lot of the commentators will say that meant that you're not taking matters into your own hands. You're not murdering somebody. I understand how that could be the idiom of the day. But really, you couple that with the, with the meaning of what that hand means, the meaning of what it means, that's redundancy, that we're doing it God's way. We're partnering with him. We've got to make sure that we don't come before him with the soiling of the world. I think that's one of the reasons why perhaps Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the, at the Lord's Supper because he was telling them as you go forth from here to Jerusalem to Judea to the uttermost parts of the world you're going to have to make sure that where the sole of your foot this same term goes for dominion that you keep yourself pure and clean because it's going to be real easy to either become filthy with the world or to become disgusted by the world to where you're like Moses at the rock when God says to do one thing and you just can't help yourself by doing another, telling the people what for. I know I'm covering a lot of territory here, but study this word, cop. You should know how to do it. Maybe you've splurged and brought the King James with Strong's when it was on sale. You can click on the word and see where it's used to the Old Testament. Let God lead you through that. But again, it speaks to that principle that we've already recognized and realized that when we take the hand of God, we're coming in agreement with him for what he wants to do. And so we come tonight, this congregation, or wherever you may be praying, thanking God and welcoming his activation of the, the gap that he's called us to stand in, the, the terio. But we're also looking to what's coming, and we're kneeling with our palms extended. We remember Solomon and God at the dedication of that temple. We remember Moses extending the palms of his hand and the thunder and the hail ceased. I just think that's wonderful since we're such a thunderous people with the rains and the hail and the snow that seems to come when God sends us out on missions. So wonderful. I'll never forget, we've told this story. We had a team when we were going to minister in France, but we went over to Monaco and we went down to the, the, the little Hercules Bay there and it was cold and we, we praised the Lord and we prayed in tongues and we were out there on that, on that um, 
that little narrow extension into the water, and suddenly the thunder just boomed. It was loud. It shook, and snow started. And I don't remember. It was six or eight inches of snow, and the people were stunned. They said, we don't get this. This is not what happens here. I remember how wonderful that was. What a sign. But the extension of the palms of the hands before God and the partnership with the angelic, where the angelic, when you're, their palms are bearing you up as you're serving the Lord. That's Psalm 91. Anyway, you can look at it for yourself. But tonight we come to pray. Uh, we invite you to join and pray regarding what God has given you wherever you are. We're, we're all together before the throne. I have a responsibility here in many ways for the network, but for this church where I'm called to pastor. So every now and then I have to extend and say, folks, right here, we need to do this. So it's a privilege, but we invite you to apply these same biblical principles in accordance with the prophetic word, wherever you may be, you need to do this before the Lord. And, and I bless you. We bless you in this way. So, thank you for joining today. And um, I hope that as you have your personal times of study, uh, you'll, you'll find this to be an invigorating and inspiring a glorious word and um, because it's God's word it's not me I just have the privilege of bringing God's word to you so let his word minister you have the defining you have the principle you have the the focalization to know what this means. So as you study the word through the scripture, apply what it means into those passages. And I believe that it'll be an inspiration, but also an instruction and an empowerment for you and for all of us. So God bless you. Let's make this a continued day of prayer. And we will look forward to praying tonight. Till next time, God bless you all, and goodbye.